Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Welcome back because I know you have been waiting for this. All week, and it is the best Tuesday you've had all week, too. Oh, I thought you were telling me welcome back for a minute there. I was, like, so excited, and then I realized Katie's back. T- I'm back. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Glad you're here. <laughs> that was so... <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a little less enthusiastic than it was yesterday, let me tell you. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Katie's here, too. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. She's just, yeah, normal. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh, man. You know, there is so much going on right now. In some ways... It's it's really kind of benign, and in other ways, it's just been chaos. And it is the weirdest environment for me lately to try to analyze everything from the markets to the business cycle to the COVID cycle to I mean, it's just it's all up in the air. Well, there's there's a handful of things that everybody deals with, right? So, a COVID is here to stay for a while now and who knows for how long i know people are getting vaccinated and things are starting to open up again but but we don't have a deadline right it's not like oh yeah but but bring me back to that point because i have a thought but so so covid's still here much longer than i if i was a betting woman i would have lost my money because i thought it would have been done with by the end of last summer so i'm surprised that we're still kind of dealing with it but glad to see progress so covid Stimulus, right? Had another round of stimulus that's been being dropped in. So some people have gotten it, some people haven't. So now it's like, okay, we've flooded the market again with some money. Let's see how that's going to affect everything going. Mm-hmm. So those two are, are as you would say, the low-hanging fruit of things that the general population is kind of dealing with. Market cycle, right? It's been all over the craze, all over the place. Right. So right. market cycle's crazy. And those are just general things. That doesn't even include what's going on in our personal lives. There's some stuff. Right? Like, and I mean, I don't mean it like in a bad way. I just meant like, you know, for our general listener, it's like, okay, those are three things that I mentioned that affect quite a few people until you get down into the little stuff that affects you as a listener. Right. So, yeah, kind of, kind of a lot. It was very fascinating to me that my uh, husband bought me a book on uh, how to be a leader and like to drown out the distraction. And yet the distraction is what prevents me from finishing the book. (laughs) It's like. Sweet (laughs) irony. I'm like, so you bought the person who doesn't have time to read a book about how to lead while being distracted. Way to go. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) yes, I'm sorry. What squirrel? (laughs) I know it made me laugh. I've I've gotten I'm actually proud of myself because I've gotten halfway through it. That that in itself was an achievement. Nicely done. Yeah. Well, Well, no. Nicely, partly done. <laughs> so now it? carry on. You can do this. I believe in you. It's becoming a new phrase for me. It's starting to show up around the office, too. People are saying, like, I'm going to do this side or the other thing. Okay, I believe in you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Is that the, like, attaboy, like, get going? <laughs> yeah, it's like, just, just prove it. <laughs> so. Oh. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm always impressed when you're like, oh, I'm reading this book. I'm like, when? When when do you have time to read? Are you actually reading or are you listening? Both. Do you find that one is better than the other? Uh, it's circumstantial. So that I, I don't draw a distinction, right? If I have time in the car going somewhere, like over the weekend I had a fair amount of driving because I was on the other side of the mountain. So I, was, I drove over to the Bend area 
and it was just me in the car. Great time to uh, plow through some audiobooks. I am pretty nerdy. I'm mostly a nonfiction listener. Okay. And uh, I, so I got through a lot of great material there. But then I have just a little Kindle, and it's not an iPad or anything fancy. It's like I can hold it in one hand, and I can just grab it and uh, read for a little bit. And I don't really do anything but read on that device. So I have that for when I'm reading. And uh, most of what I get, I know a lot of people love the physical book. And I get it. If, you, if you're a person that takes notes or marks them up or whatever, there is something nice about a physical book. But I love the fact that I can have like a whole library in my hand. So that's pretty cool. It's both for me. Because if I read a great book and I want to give it to someone, if it's digital, it's harder to do. True. Because you can tell them to go do it, but then it's out of sight, out of mind. Versus if they are good readers, then it's like, oh, no, here's this book. And maybe that book sitting on their coffee table or their desk will be the reminder to read it. So it's... I, I, there's kind of a little bit of give and take on both, sure. I think. So, all right. So, anyhow. You were talking about the no, chaos that ensues. And you brought up, first of all, I want to tell you, I am ready to make different bets, right? When we, when you said, I would have lost if I had a bet on COVID, I figured it would have been over. All right, I'm going to make one of those crazy bets. You're not supposed to do predictions in finance, right? But Are you doing a financial prediction or just a... I don't know that it's financial prediction, but I'm just reading the tea leaves of what I see going on here. And I think that we're about through with this thing. Like I okay. think I think within the next two or three months, Oregon just kind of pulls the ripcord and says, we're not shutting down anymore and we're going to start lifting restrictions and we're just going to deal with the consequences. And there is a scientific rationale for this, and it's not going to mean that there won't be people that still get sick or have ramifications. But it's it's a multi-factor rationale here. I mean, for one, we're as the vaccinations are rolled out, we're going to approach as close to herd immunity as we get. Now, for those of you that live in fear, okay, and yeah, I'm this is probably not a not so subtle shot at some people that are just freaked out over the what ifs. Okay, you know, what if the sky turns to poison and rains on me? Well. There may be variants of the COVID virus that ultimately are not good, right? It could happen. But that's no different than it's ever been. We've always had the ability for things to mutate and something could be bad. So my sense is that the the political momentum and the uh, COVID fatigue is so real that people are just over it. They're, they're ready to take their chances. They're ready to have kids back in school. Uh, the, the Zoom meetings, you know, people are over it. I'm, yeah, I mean they're they're just there, and and so and and the 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 people that you hear that say things like no no I prefer Zoom meetings I would say okay you're unique, right you're <laughs> you're an introvert you're like I'd rather people leave me alone the more I can stay in a hole the better okay yeah you're a minority percentage of the population not that everybody's extroverts that's no, not the no, case no, right but, but people like people. But they've been, I mean, there's other research that says, you know, the more isolated you are, the other health problems ensue. There's mental health problems and other yeah, things, too. Yeah, so that's not even my that's larger not even your point. Pro- it's know, just that I it's... think that from a population standpoint, we're just at the point that it's diminishing return. And at some point, leadership also recognizes that if I want to stay in a leadership position, I'm going to have to have enough appeal to enough people that. They're going to reelect that me. they'll reelect me. Otherwise, you can upset the balance of power if you upset enough people, even on your own team. True. Right? So at some point, they're like, we can't keep doing this or we're going to 
have other consequences. Has there? I haven't looked, by the way, admitting it first. Has there been any statistics on uh, states like Texas who just said, you know, what, we're going to open wide back up? I mean, are, are we seeing? Oh, I'm certain there are statistics. I do not know them off the top of my head. I just didn't know. I mean, I haven't seen anything in the media, which is why I'm saying like, because usually if there's something that kind of goes haywire, obviously the media is going to report on it. And I'm kind of wondering, like, are they going silently into the night? Like, oh, we decided uh, to open back up and everything's fine. It, you know, I think it depends on your media source at this point. No joke. Right. I mean, I, I, it, I hate to be so jaded and cynical, but whatever whatever source that you listen to, I think that's a big issue to consider. True. So we got this crazy backdrop. And you know what I hear a lot of people are asking me, you know, hey, so looks like this is going to be hyperinflation and it's going to be the market's crashing, right? I think we kind of talked about this last week, too, if you missed the show. Hey, podcast, right? <laughs> so go to littlejohnfs.com and you can check out the podcast. But we talked a little bit about that. I had special guest, you know, Barry Robinson was with me here and we were talking just about some of the concepts. And it got me thinking because sometimes I do that. You know, you get trapped in your own head. You spend a little too much time there. Dangerous place to go alone. Let me tell you, <laughs> dangerous place. I usually tie a rope, make sure I can get back out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, ring a bell, tell a friend when you leave, that kind of thing. <laughs> but anyhow, I got to thinking about what is going on in the markets right now because so many people have asked about whether or not things need to correct, Okay. Uh, an example would be real estate. Very expensive. Now, there's a difference between a correction and a crash. True. Right? True. And, and I think language Let's just say is... for prices to decline from here. Now, correction historically has meant 10% or greater reduction, like, like pullback in price. But a crash is more associated with... I, I, there's not a formal number for crash, by the way. A bear market... Is twenty percent okay? So twenty percent pullback and a crash. My gosh, if you were to look at headlines today, every now and then I see hilarious things. Like the other day, I saw a headline that said Boeing surges on news of this, that, or the other, and like how oh, much I saw is a surge? Too, and, and I, I went like, and looked what? at it. It's like it's up 07 percent. That's like a daily normal move. Surge? <laughs> what? Where did we define surge as 07 percent? Or you know, Tesla crashes by two percent. Yeah. I'm like, come on, people. Talk about clickbait. No joke. Yeah, well, because those are hot terms, right? And well, so exactly. And I apparently I have sucker written on my forehead because I must I read them, right? <laughs> but this is the problem too, is that you, you find yourself getting numb to some of this stuff because the language in the in the financial pornography is True. really inflammatory. True. Right? That's what's going on there. So if it's <sighs> A market crash is usually a combination of, I, I would suggest that it's a more than a 20% pullback and it happens quickly. Like last year, COVID was a crash. crash yeah, because everything right? kind of went. The speed at which everything just went boom and dropped. Yeah, crash. It was like instant. Yeah. You know, in, in like three weeks, the markets had just rolled over like crazy. Okay. And then this big rally passed that. And now you look back on it, people are saying that was the shortest bear market we've ever experienced. Prior to that, the average bear market lasted 15 months. From, from the time the markets fell by 20%, from their peak to their fall, back to a recovery and a new high, took 15 months, roughly. And I'm, I'm pulling that statistic out of memory. So if it's wrong, it's so close. Okay? The, COVID, so the, the COVID bear market was what, half that? The COVID market took Eight, less nine than a year. Eight, 
right? We were hitting all-time highs in October, so it was about six, a six and a half, seven month. So fastest recovery we've ever seen. Okay. Okay. And now people are asking if the market's going to crash again. And so I have this. Here's my question. It, yeah, how First, what's a crash? And we kind of just talked about that. But what do you think? Is the market going to crash? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, so we'll, we'll take our first break. We'll come back. We'll unpack it a little bit. And I'll give you a hint. The crash may not look like you think. I'll explain more right after this very important obscene profit break. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you can listen to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the best Tuesday you've had all week. It is the True Wealth Radio Show. And it's not a ton day, which is nice. No, no, but uh, it's still a ton week because Friday is going to be shortened. Uh, or Well, Friday is... Good Friday. It's, it's a great Friday. It's a great Friday. Uh, but I will also say, heavens to fiddlesticks or whatever the... I'm making <laughs> I thought it was heavens of, to Betsy. Wasn't too. it heavens to Betsy? Yeah, heavens my goodness because... <laughs> The market seems to be closed all the time. What is the deal? How many market holidays does do the do market makers actually go to work? Is so there's, just- there's. I want to say there's actually. I want to say there's like eleven market holidays, and then there's two days that are supposed to be like half half days. days. Which the half days for us are pointless because being that's like on one a month where the market's just like you know what, and, and that's in addition to the federal holidays, right? Yeah, but we don't do federal holidays. The the market does the federal holidays, I guess. But it's like, you know, you could bet on at least one day a month. Some market participants are like, you know, we could use a long weekend. And so the New York (laughs) Stock Exchange, it's just a vacation cabal, right? They probably all like bought timeshares or something. I don't know. But I want to know what's going on in September, though, because right now you can't do anything in September. Everything's booked. Oh, man. Which is crazy. I was like, why September? Everything is booked everywhere. It is seems. it? That's what I'm, you know, you look at, uh, well, so one of the interesting areas of real estate, and I'm going to talk about real estate for a little bit too, uh, but the short-term rental market and valuations, well, you know, I was trying to, you know, look at some short-term rentals. You know the story. Right. We couldn't even get in to see them because they're booked for all the time. You know, it's like, well, you could get in with the cleaner on like, Tuesday at 2 p.m. I'm like, yeah, I work for a living. I think that's not happening. And that only like, and that's only a possibility if you live within a 10 mile radius of the property you're trying to buy. But I mean, if you're not anywhere even close to the property, it's like, okay, I'm gonna take a whole day off to possibly squeak in to maybe one day buy a property. Well, so so here's where why this matters. Okay, so at the break, I asked, is the market gonna crash? Okay. And you said it may look different than you think. Yeah, it may. Um, what what if a crash didn't look like a crash? Okay, so that's a wait, wait, wait. say that again because what it's if a, a crash very didn't look like a crash. So what do you mean by that then? Well, it's a matter of perspective, right? So, which part of the supply and demand curve moves, right? When when you think about economics, and if price crashes, then it's really easy because you see the price like fall. But let's let's play this game personally. Let's say that you lose your job and you get a new job and you get paid half of what you used to. 
Okay. Okay. As far as your lifestyle capacity goes, my you lifestyle crash. <laughs> you just had a lifestyle crash, right? Because like, hey, you know what? I have half the purchasing power I used to have. Okay. Now keep that in mind and say, well, what if the price of everything around didn't crash? What if the price went up a whole bunch, but you didn't get more money? Well, and that we actually see that happening now. Yeah. So like because of the supply and demand, right? And so it's not just in real estate, it's in a lot of purchasing things. So like new cars right now, because factories and manufacturers have been kind of semi shut down or shut down over this whole COVID experience, cars are now selling for thousands of dollars over sticker. So not only can you not negotiate on the car, okay. you're going to so, pay more. Now that would be inflation, right? You just you just kind of sold away what it is. But what if the crash didn't look like the crash? Well, that's kind of how I see it. And like, what if inflation isn't what happens? Wait, if the so, crash didn't so, look like so the crash? So what, what would happen if we just kept giving away money and everybody has a bunch more money and so inflation happens, but you have more money anyway? Then, in effect... Everything goes up in price and you have more money. Your purchasing power doesn't change. The price of all the assets goes up. You just stayed kind of neutral. The market, in effect, would have way less relative purchasing power because it's been diluted, but it didn't oh. crash, right? The price didn't go down. In fact, it could still go up. But if the dollar loses a ton of purchasing less. power, then you could still find yourself with less you know, it's it's a it's a phantom crash, right? But you wouldn't consider that inflationary. Well, it is inflation. Or are you so calling that's, that's, that like the reverse crash is inflation? Well, so the reverse crash would be that. Here's what's weird about the way we measure inflation, and this is something that uh, Barry last week brought up. He said, you know, the measures of inflation look pretty under control, and largely they are. We've seen energy costs go like you, you know, gas at the pump has gone up since the election. I mean, it has. If there's you shut down pipelines and then you've had some storms and stuff in yeah, Texas and refineries are right. thrown offline. That's that all plays into the the cost of fuel, and so that's definitely gone up. Uh, we have seen because of supply chain constraint, right? So a supply reduction, not a demand reduction. We've seen prices go up because you just can't get as much as stuff. I mean, there's some stuff that I can't get a hold of. I've got a, a classic car we're trying to get restored right now. Can't get parts. Right? They're back ordered. Right. And have been since November. The cost of wood for building. Well, yeah, the the raw materials to build right now, super high. So the issue here is that those are demand or you know, a supply side constraint. Okay. If we see though that ultimately things come back online, I just don't know that the, I don't know the stock market has to crash. I think it could be that the stock market, the price can actually go up. It's just that if your dollar purchasing power is declining faster than the market's climbing, you could still find yourself with not being a more expensive stock much. market. Yeah. It, it's not a crash, but your relative purchasing power doesn't buy as much, so it may as well be a crash. <laughs> you know, It's not as good a store of value. Now, I don't think that's what's going to happen in the stock market in the short term, just so we're clear. In fact... Without making an investment recommendation at all, right? I'm not doing that. So don't go out and act Because it's not on personal this. advice. It's not advice, but I right. will tell you personally, given the economic backdrop, I am quite bullish on the markets, right? For people that are saying, oh, it's going to be hyperinflation, everything's going to collapse. So the, historically speaking, the market is a leading indicator. It, sh it, it 
gets ahead of those indicators, not behind. Right. So it's so, anticipating that it's so, going to go so up higher. So you need to begin to see much more inflation in the markets before we see the inflation happen everywhere. And so the market, to me, while it may be out over its skis by some metrics, by other metrics, especially relative to you know risk and so forth, it looks pretty attractive. I can tell you've been playing in the snow because you've used the term out over your skis like four times I've in the last a two lot days. lately. I, I pick like a fun metaphor that I use a bunch. But the leading indicators, you know why, though. I do. You, you no, get over I your totally... skis too far. You're leaning you forward, tumble. forward, oh, forward. Oh, and I've, I've snowballed all the way down a hill, too, before. I've helicoptered. Do, 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 do. So I know what you mean about getting out over your skis. It's just... Funny, sorry, it's a little thing for well, me. I'm like, also, I can tell David's been playing the markets in markets get ahead of themselves. Right. How, whatever we want to say. But the markets definitely, if, if the market is a leading indicator, okay, then it should start to fall first. Before right? anything else does. Right. And, and if it's going up first, it's because it's anticipating economic growth. And what did we just talk about earlier with COVID? What, what was my suggestion? I don't remember now. Wrong. That tells was, you shiny objects. Yeah, it was that... I think that we're about over this thing because the, oh, because the, everything's the, growing. The, like we're the thinking. herd immunity element at play. Right as the economy is unlocked, I'm already talking with other investment professionals in states that have lifted lockdowns, and their optimism level is very different. They're seeing lots of economic activity. Things are happening, right? The, my friends in Texas, it is cranking. Oh. Yeah, right? I have friends it that are builders out there, and cranking. they can't. Like, I mean, they don't even have to have the house done, and people are offering them cash offers to buy it. Yeah. Like, it's well, crazy. and that's that's just. I mean, the real estate market's everywhere. You, their inventory here is down to scary low, right? And again, real estate right now does not, by valuation, again, not investment advice, but by valuation metrics, traditional valuation metrics. I challenge somebody to walk in and try to give me the numbers to justify how real estate's a good investment. Well, right we now. were talking about that too. Like, if you buy a certain house, like a specific house, which would be like a normal rental, like a three bed, two bath, what you would pay, but how much rent you could get for it. Right. And realistically, where the rent would need to be in order to justify the price on the house. That's and exactly because relative to other investments, right now, if you buy real estate, you can, you can borrow really cheap. So, if it's for you to live in, Okay, people are already paying more for it because they're like, I need to live somewhere. I don't need a return on my investment. I just need a house. And a mortgage I can afford. And a mortgage I can afford. Right. But, you know, when an investor buys property and say they want to rent it, you have to look at how much does it cost me to buy it, how much rent can I make, and after I pay everything, how much do I keep? Right. And if you do that formula right now, it is really hard to justify owning real estate because there are so many other investments that pay you better. Right. And so when I look at that, I'm like, oh, wow. And so when somebody tells me, no, you know, you can't go wrong with real estate because you're not making more dirt. And I go, well, you know, when you have a rental environment where the federal government says you cannot evict tenants that don't pay, and then you tell tenants not to pay, that doesn't look very good. No. Right. And then you have the state of Oregon double down and say, and you can't raise rent, but only so much. And they got all these rules to protect tenants. Okay, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm saying as an investor, if you own a property that's got all these regulatory restrictions around it and you're collecting relatively low income and have relatively high costs, you have to compare your total rate of return to other right. options. Real estate doesn't look very sexy right now. And if your bet is that it's because the price will go so much higher, that just tells me it sounds like 2006 again. No, I know. It's starting to feel like that, isn't it? Yes. And if you don't remember 2006, 
oh, you know, go talk to somebody that's over 40 years old and say, hey, what was that like? And they're all going to go, <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Because I, and the funny thing, I was in my 20s. And you were too. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't do math now. That's horrible. Um, I was in my yes, 20s. Yes, I was in my 20s. Thank you. I, well, because you're not almost the same age. I was in my 20s, but I remember all my friends were becoming realtors because the markets were, like, so hot. Everybody's like, oh, I can make a buck and keep my job and do this thing. And it was just weird. Like, people were pooling their money and buying and selling properties every other month, and it was just crazy. I mean, things that they wouldn't normally do. And I felt like they were, like, jumping on this. Um, we talk about the hype in investing, right? Like, no different than, like, the GameStop thing. Well, everybody else seems to be doing it, so maybe I should do it, too. Right. And I felt like that was the mentality in 2006 around real estate. It's like, well, everybody else is doing it, making all this money. I should probably do it, too, without really understanding what they were doing or what they were buying. Mm-hmm. And, do you, and I kind of see that starting to happen now. Well, I, it's crazy. Know, a lot of people, it's the, I better buy it now or I'll never be able to afford it. Okay, that's a scary one. And it's also uh, the when it is when the pitch is no longer about hey this is a good investment relative to other options, it's just about well it's just going to get more expensive because that's what real estate does. Again, I lived in a home that took twelve years before the value that was lost in the crash of two thousand seven and eight was back to break even. Twelve years before the price recovered to break even. Of still paying your mortgage. Right. And still paying the mortgage, right? Rent would have been cheaper, honestly. So it was not a great investment for 12 years. And to this day, because I tracked that home because we sold it, it still has not gotten back to the same estimated value that it had in 2005 when they estimated the value for lending purposes. Really? Yes. So you math that thing out. So that's 16-year black hole. Okay. Dang. So now, if you bought it, in 2008 or 9 oh man you're up big you know you made a hundred you doubled your money in that thing but it got crushed so it can totally happen to real estate oh yeah uh, but it's not necessarily the current backdrop okay so it's not like 2008 no just, it's just so everybody's like we're not in 2008 there are things going on but it looks different and Katie's going to tell me during the break whether or not you all want to talk about that. Okay? <laughs> or you want to hear me talk about it and Katie wonder why we're talking about it. But we'll, we'll figure it out right after this, again, important extreme profit break. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. If you were just tuning in, Katie, they have there's a podcast. There's always a podcast at littlejohnfs.com. Right? You go under the Educate tab because there's three pillars, right? Educate. Plan. Invest. In that order. Yes. On purpose. Indeed. <laughs> Are we going to play this game where we just finish each other's sentences? Just one-liners. <laughs> So. That would be a fun show to see if we could actually make it all the way through doing it. Okay. <laughs> no, no we, bet. No bet. <laughs> I don't know so, that we can. <laughs> no bet. Maybe so, one segment. <laughs> anyhow, uh, we were talking about uh, at the – by the way, this there's lots of backlog shows. I mean, like, at this point, probably hundreds of backlog shows. Have we crossed 1,000? Oh, no. No. It's, it's been, no, what, it's six, been five years six, or no. something, six years. So if you math it out, let's do 50 shows a year. It's going to yeah, take a like, lot to get to 1,000. True. 
Uh, but it may feel like it though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it feels like it's not the first show. So. <laughs> Anyhow, you know, there's there is a, a, a logic behind educate than plan and invest, and this show is really it's educate with probably a lot more banter that's um, marginally useful to you. So, what you I'm, said it wasn't. So we're not in 2008. You were going to start to explain yes, to our listeners yes. how. This, even though it has feels of 2008, right? Like, so, so, so for everybody that lived through that, that's old enough to have lived through that time, they're going, oh, it's starting to feel that way again. But we're not in the same historical situation that we were in in 2008. Right. And again, if you're just tuning in, we're, we're, we sort of talked about, we're talking about the stock markets and real estate and just the way the markets get valued right now and how there are a lot of things in the system that seem to be... I like to use the term dislocated, but maybe the more accurate is just they, they seem to be not conforming to traditional expectations and value methods. So, right? so if we're trying to assign a value, it's like, well, I'm looking at this thing and boy, it's really hard to justify this. But I would guess say it's also weird for um, younger investors. Right. So like let, let's take like the, you know, the late teen to early 20 something that's just now getting into the stock market. If this is their precedent. Right. If this is if this is how you believe that investing looks, then it's going to be a really. And <laughs> I look back into my twenties, and you go, well, I don't know what these thirty, forty-year veterans know, but I can, you know, read and see the technology and you know understand investing, and it's fine. And that was somewhat true. Right. the The issue is just there was so much that I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but that's kind of my point, right? It's like the, and we talked about the fact that you and I are old enough to where we were born kind of without the technology and, and then got it and grew up and kind of had to incorporate it into our lives, right? So like we remember the green screens, we remember the pagers, the other stuff like that. We remember having telephone actually, you know, mounted on the wall with the cord, right? Our kids have no idea about that. They've grown up on tablets and iPhones and it's interesting for them to even understand cell phones didn't exist, Right when we were True. born, um, or not to the television extent. wasn't on demand. Heck, sometimes it wasn't even in color. I remember watching a black and white. I know, yeah. My poor kids wonder if I was in black and white when I was little, and I'm like, I'm not that old, and that never happened. God didn't go, hey, let's turn the color on. We forgot. Hold on. Right. <laughs> like the world didn't exist in black and white before. But I digress. Um, it's it's just interesting. I think about the younger generation coming up and looking at you know like maybe first time home buyers, right? Being young and first-time home buyer and going, hey, this is just the way the market is. Like, do they have unrealistic expectations that are being met based on what they're seeing right now as a first experience to the stock market or to the real estate market? Right. Like, those are the things, you know, when, when you hear people say, like, on average, you should expect between an 8 and a 12% return and somebody gets a 30% return or a 40% return in the last 12 months. And they're going, no, look, see, I know what I'm doing. And it's like, right. but it, do you? It has some... <laughs> This there's some things that are echoing in this economy that remind me a little bit of the late 90s, so in sort of 98, 99. Like the tech boom, frame. like the Silicon yeah, Valley the tech, thing? Yeah, the tech boom, and there was just sort of this. Uh, now, the markets are starting to look with more suspicion at companies that have been really high-growth companies. So the Zooms and the Zillows and that kind of – it's like they're, oh, I don't know if we're willing to put that much into it. Even Tesla, right? I mean, you think about Tesla as a company – the stock is now trading, you know, and I know I kick it around a lot, but it got up into the 800s. It's in the low sixes right now. But it split, right? No, it? no. I mean, it since the split, it split and changed values and whatnot. But 
it went from eight over eight hundred dollars a share to you know just over six hundred dollars a share right now that's still a 25 percent decline in price okay and when you're measuring a company's market cap in billions right hey tesla goes from 100 billion to 75 billion it hurts five billions a lot of money uh yeah right so of course the idea is that, by the way, is a silly comment when I say that because yes, twenty-five billion on paper is a lot of money, but it's not like Tesla could have just picked the day and said, "You know what? The stock's fine right here. Let's just sell everything and cash in." <laughs> that could never happen, right? No, they, they it's not how just companies like, work. Oh, you know what? Let's just pull the ripcord and there. See, I used the same analogy again today, so it's, it's ripcords and over the skis. But let's just <laughs> let's just eject right here. Let's just be done and take the money. And the answer is. No, 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 because as soon as you flood the market with all the shares, the price is going to drop. Right. You know, you have to have enough demand to gobble up all the shares. And if you just dump them all simultaneously, no, no. Which is also why we have talked about in the past about taxes and how CEOs get paid and how they own parts of companies and how we have to be careful about tax policy because we don't want to inadvertently make them sell off shares to be liquid which floods the market which drives the price down and all these other things that all the moving parts that are bigger up problems but people don't think about them that way yes <laughs> that's a very uh, mundane yes <laughs> as the tide rolls in yes <laughs> but it's so we're not sorry, you're right there's yay <laughs> i like that where's my bell ding 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 ding, ding. no but yeah, look, gratification. I love it. You're willing to play my games and give me a bell. I, I'm, I am the person that likes the pats on the backs. I will admit, true. I like the attaboys. I'm getting you ribbons. It's coming. I, <laughs> pretty shiny ones, please. Okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, we're not, we're not in a 2008 situation. How are we not in? A, what, what's different? How well, does it compare? So first of all, I think the banking system is what drove the fragility of 2008. Yeah, right. they were loaning money everywhere. And and they were loaning money. They were pretty sloppy with the underwriting standards. And what really precipitated it was a change in accounting standards for how banks were able to account for their collateral. Okay. Something called mark-to-market accounting. And that meant that they needed to conjure up at that moment a value for all of their collateral. And so the banks owned some things that were illiquid. And illiquid meaning, hey, you can't just turn around and sell it which is how you establish the value. So what do we do? And they had to essentially turn around and sell some things because it it appeared that the value had no value on paper. And since nobody was willing to bid for it, they had to go out and try to get a value. So, well, then what would somebody pay for it? Well, not that. And now we have to lower the price. That's not enough. Lower the price far enough. And somebody goes, well, you know, that illiquid asset, I'm willing to find cash somewhere to buy it from you because at that price, that would be a steal. And they go, okay, but if that's the current price now, that's not enough money to secure the collateral requirements that we have. Right. And all of a sudden, the banks didn't have enough money to cover their obligations. And it created sort of a cascade domino effect where one thing collapsed and another thing and another thing and another thing. And before you know it, the federal government was having to conjure up a program to sort of halt things. And Lehman Brothers was gone and Bear Stearns was gone. And a bunch of banks, I mean, you may not remember, and if you're young enough, you don't remember this at all, but there was a bank that was everywhere in the Pacific Northwest called Washington Mutual. Yes. It's sort of purple and yellow colors. Yes. And they were everywhere. Oh, in, my gosh. I totally in, forgot about right? them. Including in the local Fred Meyer, which is now a branch of J.P. Morgan. 
because they bought them. Didn't they? Well, they absorbed them, right? The, the Federal Reserve, when these banks were undercapitalized, they were consolidating them under the stronger banks and re-tweaking the organizations in order to keep them solvent. Okay, And so there was a lot of consolidation when the banking system came near the brink. Then that... That was crazy. a lot of what drove 2008. Well, banks are nowhere near as fragile on the balance sheet as they were. Even if there was a series of defaults, they have a lot more armor. Well, the frig- they got spanked pretty heavy, right? Yeah. So they're like, we're not doing that again. Yeah. Now, here's the gotcha. There is fragility in the system, but it's more on the government balance sheet. Right? What? So, and this is me. I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but I do want everybody out there to think about this for a minute. Okay, when you drive down rates of return, when you drive interest rates down by letting the government buy up all the bonds, then what you do is you drive the risk-free rate of return down, and it affects the value of all the different asset classes. True. Well, one of the largest obligations for state and federal governments is their retirement plans. Those retirement plans, the PERS and FERS and CalSTRS and all the different ERS out there <laughs> that represent public employee pension programs. Okay. Okay. They all own fixed income instruments. Yeah. And they all have a baby boom generation that's taking money out of these things right now. So they have a current cash flow need. And we just drove the cash flow from all the fixed income assets way, way down. And forced these people that are managing the pension funds into other risk classes in order to like keep make up. more money. Well, to... so either they've had to sneak into the markets or they've had to underperform and you know raise taxes and it creates a bigger burden on the system because the current people paying in, there's there was almost as many people taken out. And sometimes not even. I mean, right? there may be and, more and taking so out than there are people the, yeah. paying in. So then it becomes a tax obligation or other elements at play. And that can create a systemic issue because you've got this massive, massive pension programs that are all reliant upon these laddered fixed income instruments. And if you blow those up, then you create some real hardships in the system. So it's not on the private sector side as much as it is buried in the public sector. Oh. And it's rarely spoken about other than to say, well, gosh, you know, PERS is broken. It's like, well, yeah, but it's broken because it's expensive, but also because we have, we have a population problem. We have more, you know, so many people taken out of it. And because the internal actuarial assumptions are hard to meet well, in a market we... backdrop where you can't own the asset classes that are going up or can't own enough stocks. Or if you do, you take it on a bunch of risk. And if the market crashes on you, you're hosed there. So <laughs> you're really in trouble. So did we break it even further with COVID? Uh, COVID. It, I mean, we, did... so let's let's be clear. What first we didn't break it. Not with COVID, we right? as in me, but, but like did did uh, PERS get crippled even further with COVID with teachers not being able to go to work or so. I mean, have well, we seen it change in that? The answer is it was impacted, but it's it, it illustrates something. Else. Look, we got to take the last break. OK, we're, we're, we're running up against the clock. Let's take the last break and then I will unpack that little bit for you. Uh, it's not a kick on purse session, right? But it is a get real. This is how money works session. And we'll do that when we come back. So stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN.
All right. Welcome back after what may have been the longest break in history. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, it's talk about uh, music in the background. We listen for the like chicka 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 chicka, right? And that's kind of like your audio cue, like, okay, it's, it's coming off the break now. And that felt like it was the train was leaving the station for quite a while, but it never yes, went. It was. <laughs> I, hello? Is it is it my turn? <laughs> no. Okay, Katie, you asked a good question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna unpack this for the listeners. And we're talking about how the current markets uh, people have been asking, is it a crash or not? And and so, look, I don't know if it's a crash. I mean, we can't predict that. Uh, I did suggest maybe the crash doesn't look like a crash. You know, what if your purchasing power changed? You know, what if you actually had more money? Like, you know, what? Oh, minimum wage goes up to twenty dollars, and you think, hurrah! But everything sudden, goes up with it. But you know, yeah, all of a sudden, a gallon of gas costs nine dollars, right? And so you're like, oh shoot, okay, well that didn't work out like I thought, and so you could see prices go up in certain environments, you know, maybe the stock market still goes higher, but it doesn't go as high. It doesn't proportionately adjust as if the purchasing power changed. Right. Right. Or maybe it does, but it's temporary. Maybe it goes up and then it pulls back. And that's, I, I actually think the market can go higher from here. We talked about real estate and how expensive it is, but I think it may get more expensive. Right. Right. I mean, the old expression, it's funny, but true is markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. I know that's a scary thought, right? And so things can often get more extreme than you anticipate. But uh, the the issue that I said is unlike 2008, where the banking system seemed to be the weak link in the chain, I think the hidden one may be in the government pension system with all of these significant obligations, a bunch of baby boomers loading up on the system and withdrawing from it, and then having fewer people paying in, and now, and you know, you can see where this may go, right? Is right. that if the government's going to just sort of print dollars, you know, we're seeing this in education and other areas where it's like, well, you know, we had huge hits because of COVID where parts of the economy just shut down. And so we literally just print dollars and distribute them to people. Now, that appears to work on the surface initially because everybody has dollars to go spend and there's been demand destruction and some supply interruption, right? So the supply and demand curve is all wacky oh, yeah. because of COVID. And then you throw a bunch of new dollars in the mix. And so it takes a while for those to get integrated into the system, and it takes a while for all of those changes to sort of propagate through and work their way through a chain that's all tweaked because of COVID. But they do filter in eventually, right? You, you don't, there's no way to wave a wand and simply demand that dollars represent purchasing power. Okay? Rephrase that. Well, I don't have to rephrase it. I can explain it. Okay. Okay. The dollar is an exchange unit for the value of something. Right. It's in how you exchange time, right? So when you do a job, the job has a certain value. And the job doesn't become more valuable because you just say, well, or, or the, the job doesn't change, right? Like if, if you're, I'll use a silly example, but if you're flipping burgers, right? And you say, well, now you get paid twice as much. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden flipping burgers is worth twice as much. It means, it the, means the dollar is worth half as much. Right. Because right. the job isn't what you, you cannot will the value of the dollar, the, the job to change. The markets decide that. That's how free markets work. It's supply and demand. So what you're doing is you're influencing the supply of currency. And that's going to change the demand. The availability of currency then can chase after the, the same amount of, so more supply currency, no change in supply of the other thing, 
price goes up. Right. Okay. Well, or the or the amount of things available well, goes but down. That's which the thing. is kind of double, what we're like, Look, when there was when it was flat panel TVs used to be hard and expensive to make. Now they're easy. So the price came down, 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 because all the different techniques to build them got super cheap. As, as so why is the price of my on. phone going up, up, up? <laughs> because it can, right? I mean, there is technology that's going into the phones, and it does cost money, and there is engineering, but also well, because and they're they becoming make money. little mini supercomputers now, and they weren't oh, that yeah. way like ten years ago. Seriously, my, the phone in my pocket is more powerful than the computer I had in college. So yeah, and so there are they are getting better, but relatively speaking, they're not super expensive. The phone in my pocket still probably costs less than the computer I had in college. Yes. Right. So there, pocket, there's another example. Right. Right. Uh, nevertheless, you cannot through sheer force of will. You, I mean, the government can try to manipulate prices, but it will have consequences. Right. The economic system, if it's not free, can be dislodged for a while, but it will ultimately create other problems. Ripples. Yeah. And so that's the challenge with the system. So. Uh, I think that the pension plans are the ones that may have an issue because when you dislocate the value of the dollar, you're still paying them out. If if the government says, well, we'll just invent dollars to pay our pensioners, then what we've done is we just created a cost of living devaluation for all those pension recipients. Yeah. And, and we'll see how that gets adjusted for. But that is a problem for another day and another show because I'm looking at the clock and what it tells me is, we're out of time. We're out of time. So let's do the usual. Katie, how can they find us? 541-375-0898, littlejohnfs.com. Okay. And the music says what we all knew. All right. Well, we'll miss you until next week. But, yeah, do check us out. Uh, go to littlejohnfs.com. You can get more information if you need personal help because we don't do the advice individually on the radio. But we're happy to talk to you. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn and Katie Shook. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.